When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One of the images that they put up was of Albert Einstein in a quote, and, it said, and he said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes working on the question and five minutes solving the problem answering it and I thought from a bureaucratic perspective and this whole life that I had known prior to starting a business I wondered are we asking the right question or do we even know what question we're asking because we keep doing the same thing over and over again particularly in the area of Aboriginal well-being. Hello everyone my name is June and I'm Daph. And today, you're listening to our podcast, List Me Tinder, where we delve into bucket lists of things to do before you turn 30. So, hello everybody, we're on episode 7, and the topic that we're talking about today is fight for something you're passionate about. And I'm going to read the short blurb to it. Yep. It's all too easy to talk about the changes we want to make, but how many of us actually do anything to go about making those changes? Mm. Ask yourself, what am I passionate about? Where would I like to make a difference? Maybe it's fighting for animal rights, preservation of the environment, getting people off the streets, or helping refugees. Whatever it is, if you feel like it's worth fighting for, then it is, and there is no time like the prison to get going. So that is a topic for today. Fight for something you're passionate about. So this topic made, I think, both of us quite uncomfortable. Is that right, Dad? (laughs) Very uncomfortable. (laughs) Why do you think that is? Um, For me, I would say it's because I don't think I have experiences in this. I don't think I've actually really fight for anything that I've been passionate about. I've been very much just like go with the flow and see where where things take me. Mm -hmm. Um, So in a sense, I don't feel like I'm an an expert in this topic. And Mm -hmm. June, how about yourself? I'm pretty similar as well. I have volunteered here and there, but nothing that I've like really poured my heart into. And that is exactly why we're going to introduce you to someone that is very familiar with this territory. Uh, her name is Dixie. I think she's one of the most funny, sassy, and generous <laughs> people I know. We worked together, I think, four or five years ago now in New South Wales Health when we were both in uh, North Sydney. Yeah, Dixie, did you want to introduce yourself? Hi, Dixie. Yeah. Hi. Thank you very much for having <laughs> me. I am very sassy, but I'm also... <laughs> I am sassy. <laughs> yes. Sassy. Sassy. That's it. Sassy. That's, that's, that's it. it. That's cool. <laughs> There's nothing more to that, I think. Awesome. Yeah, so um, I'm a um, Sydney cider. I'm a Barkindji mm-hmm. woman from Broken Hill and Brewarina in mm-hmm. far western New South Wales in the middle of nowhere. And I have been in Sydney now for exactly 10 years, which is far longer than what I expected to be here. But I don't know, I guess you just <laughs> fall in love with the concrete jungle. Yeah, I mean, it's so different to the... Um, area that you're from I remember just driving past all these like yellow canola fields and thinking it's so beautiful and you're just like yep (laughs) this is standard 
It is beautiful. I love Sydney, though. I don't, can't really imagine myself leaving Sydney, mm-hmm. but it's very different yeah. to the country. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. So what is the cause that you're passionate about? What is the thing that you're kind of like pouring your energy into? I guess what's been hot on my heart for probably the last 18 months is women in business and in particular First Nations women in business in Australia. It's something that we haven't really seen before and there's this emerging class of or this emerging generation of middle class Aboriginal Australian women and men who are coming through who are creating businesses which are essentially driving change and being a fairly big influential collective in this country around challenging the status quo around what happens to Aboriginal people and what leadership looks like and how we can work together to drive change around equitable outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, my background is child protection and mental health. Mm-hmm. I've always worked in social welfare. And back in 2018, I just, I had a 12 year in the, um, career in the public sector and it was all I had ever known and I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about the big wide world. But there came a point where I think in my career where I'd reached what I considered the pinnacle of that. So I quit my job. I had um, 76 bucks in my bank account. Oh my God. I just thought, <laughs> yeah, and I just thought, give it a crack. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. You know, you've been homeless before, you didn't die. You know, you've been without a job before. Did you die? No, I didn't. So yeah, I started a business and I'm 18 months down the track now. Wow. And I've actually started a second business, which is a carpentry. But yeah, that was it. I just I pulled the trigger. Was this like idea always in the back of your head or was it something that you were just like, that's it, I'm done with my corporate life, call it corporate life, and I'm going to go forth with this, you know, helping people the best way I Well, see, when I was growing up, I didn't know anyone that ran a business. Right. I knew one one business owner and that was um, Uncle Angelo and he was the owner of a cafe in our little town. It was this Greek cafe and mm-hmm. it had been around 80 years at that point. Other than that, I didn't see anybody else in business, yeah. so I never had you know, you become what you see, you know, and and not in a negative sense. You know what you know. Yeah, you know what you know and you know what you don't know. And what I didn't know was that being an entrepreneur was an option for me and Mm. having a bit more money in the bank account other than, you know, literally living from week Mm -hmm. to week in a paycheck. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything more than that. Looking back on it now, there are a couple of different um, events at different points. When you pull it all together, it was obviously the universe pushing me into, mm. into the direction of starting a business mm. and I just wasn't really consciously aware of that. One of those moments was when I was sitting in this little tiny booth um, at Leichhardt Oval and my friend who I was working with, um, partnering with, doing some stuff for him on his um, football app, he dropped $300 on an ad and I was like, what? $300? That's a lot of money. And he goes, right. that's business. Then, you know, like going to different events and just being my circle of influence started to change. People come in and they go out, you know, there's new people. It just changes all the time. You go through these different seasons in life. And I found myself in a situation where my circle of influence were people that ran businesses. Mm -hmm. But again, this is what I'm saying about the universe kind of pushing you in the direction there that you just may not be aware of. in hindsight, I probably would have liked to have a bit more in the bank account because the first year of business was really hard, mm-hmm. but also it showed me what I was made of in terms of commitment, grit and determination, just not mm. being able, not giving up because, you know, when you run your own business, it's... Yeah, it's difficult. You've got to make the money, you know. I have a question. Um, you mentioned kind of not seeing, I guess, role models around you 
doing something like this when you were growing up. What other barriers do you think there are to Aboriginal women starting businesses? I can't speak for all Aboriginal women. I guess one of them was certainly around seeing women that were was not seeing women in business. Mm. I didn't know any woman in business at that point. Everyone was working in the areas of education, health, police officers. That's what I saw. And that's what, you know, like I was really passionate about child protection and mental health when I was, you know, growing up and got into it. And then I just started to see something else and mm. that piqued my interest. That would be one of the one of the barriers would be not knowing what you, you know, not being aware of the business world and what is out there, what opportunities come from that. I think also the fact that we don't, women don't have access to education around business. Mm. Um, and that's not necessarily in the sense of, you know, going to university, doing an undergrad or getting an MBA, but also just knowing what business is, you know, how you can take your passion to a profit. Right. Um, I think also isolation is one of the challenges that we have for women in business. Mm. You know, like there's, a, I'm very lucky. Um, I get to live in Sydney and there's a lot of opportunities for Aboriginal women in business, for women in business in general. But if you're living in a small community and you don't have A, the access to networks and B, the access to education, uh, opportunities around shaping your mindset and mm. upskilling you to run a business, mm. then you know, you're going to be behind the, the eight ball. You've got to be really motivated and get out there and chase those. Whereas for me, it's very easy to go to a networking event here and just, I'll go some, go down to the, you know, town centre and have a yarn with, some, you know, well, not the, the town centre, the Westfield. <laughs> but, you know, that access to networks around being able to support you, that's a barrier. Mm. I don't know if I'd be where I am now if I lived in back in Dubbo or Broken Hill or Bree. I don't know if I'd be where I am now if, um, as a woman in business if I, um, if I lived there. Interesting. Did you have any mentors or elders or people to guide you through this process? Yeah, I have a lot of mentors and I have also paid for coaches. My mentors are the type of people that will push me mm. when I'm uncomfortable. Um, same with my coaches. Um, I've paid my coaches to give me some hard talking to. Um, and they're not my friends. They really aren't. They, I'm sure they care about me, but that's a relationship where we can have really hard conversations where they can say to me, you're not doing enough. And they can give me a talking to, whereas my mentors are the people that I can have a cry to, mm-hmm. um, and they can pump me up, but you know, and give me that. They hold me a lot more than what my coaches are, if that makes yeah. any sense. So you, it's like different groups of people that serve the different needs. Mm. Yeah. 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 And that, that is interchangeable, you know, depending on where it is in, in my life in business. Um, I make sure I surround myself with people that I give different things to and they give me different things as well. Do you find yourself now that you're kind of 18 months into this process and, you know, two years ago, you might not have seen yourself here at all. Do you find yourself now being that guidance or giving that guidance and being that mentor figure to other women around you? I do, but I also know that I have limitations, you know, like I am, I'm still brand new and, you know, like literally I'm a toddler. I'm 18 months old, you know, like it, I don't know everything. And I think, you know, even my mentors, you know, who have been in the finance world for 30 years, you know, they remind me that they've, they're still learning. We all, we're all still learning. Society doesn't expect women in to be successful in business. 
you know, they expect women to be really successful as, as parents, as sisters, as wife, but they don't expect women to be talking about running multi-million dollar businesses. And particularly in Aboriginal communities, there's not, it's not a narrative that is brand new, that is, you it's know, told. familiar for people. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's not familiar for people. So I've shared with women, about, you know, that kind of stuff about, you know, what I've been through, how I've been able to handle it and you know, whether or not people take tips, you know, take advice from that and use that for themselves. So I've realised we've been chatting about this, Dixie, but could you tell us a bit more about your business? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so my business is a consultancy business and I do a lot of work around writing strategic plans, doing consultation, research and evaluation, Mm. and I do a lot of facilitation around design thinking which is this new way, I guess, of looking at innovation and creativity around problem solving. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you'd be really good for that. Yeah, it's fun. I like it because it's a different way of doing things and it's really fast and quick. Um, what interested me in design thinking was that I, I went to a training um, and one of the images that they put up was of Albert Einstein in a quote and it said, and he said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend... 55 minutes working on the question and five minutes solving the problem, answering it. And I thought from a bureaucratic perspective and this whole life that I had known prior to starting a business, I wondered, are we asking the right question or do we even know what question we're asking? Because we keep doing the same thing over and over again, particularly in the area of Aboriginal wellbeing and well, there's, you know, I guess this concept of, of, you know, welfare for Aboriginal people, but we are we're still behind the eight ball, you know, we still, we're not seeing changes to closing the gap. We're not seeing changes to the way that Aboriginal people live. We're not seeing the changes in life expectancy, which is what we want to see and what we are strategically planning for and, you know, doing. We're not seeing that. So I do wonder, are we asking the correct question and, or are we just doing what we know? And, you know, back to that same statement, we know what we know and we know what we don't know. And at this point, we don't know whether or not, from my perspective, we don't know if we are asking the right question. Do you find that um, people are receptive to kind of this new approach of digging a bit deeper and thinking about what you're actually trying to solve before jumping in? I think so. Um, that's what I've started to build my reputation on now. And a lot of my clients are specifically coming to me for that. Mm. And I think it is because I'm able to set up a a safety net of cultural of cultural and psychological safety in that space to ask those questions of my clients, but for my clients to also ask them those questions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's obviously hunger for it. Right, a need. Yeah, there's a need because people have done that self-reflection either as an individual or as a department or team and have thought, you know, we need to do something different now. Yeah, we need some help. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Yeah. Um, so from the point of when you had the idea to do this to actually, you know, 
jumping in, what would you say the timeline was? Oh, I'd say it was rumbling in the back of my mind for about 18 months about starting a business. Wow. And then a decision was made within the minute that I made a decision to when I sent in a resignation was probably three or four days. (laughs) Obviously talked it over with my partner and just said, this is what I'm thinking. What do you say? And I'm very convincing, you know, like he, there was, there was no way that it wasn't that I was asking for my partner's permission. It was more like, look, things might get financially a little bit tight for us. I'm probably going to turn into a bit of a raging psycho (laughs) at different points when things don't go my way. Um, or, you know, like just be prepared for that. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, let's do it. And thankfully I've only, you know, been on my office floor crying, you know, maybe 10 or 15 times. Um, that's pretty know, good for 18 normal, months. Just, <laughs> just, you know, pretty normal for people in business. Uh, just yeah. to be sitting in the floor in the fetal position, rocking. <laughs> rocking. <laughs> So, Dixie, it sounds like, you know, obviously fair share of hard work and pain and effort, you know, and putting like everything into this on the topic of fighting for something you're really passionate about. What has been the most satisfying thing that's come out of all this, if there is any, or perhaps still on the journey? <laughs> You'd want to hope there is, hey? Ah, <laughs> uh, the yes. most satisfying thing, I think, has been that I've been able to do it and I still am doing it despite the fact that you know the perceptions out there of aboriginal women the perceptions of aboriginal people being a successful that's probably one of the most satisfying things particularly when i say to people oh you know like men for example around the carpentry mm-hmm. business when they ask me what i do i say i own a carpentry business and they're like wait what you own a carpentry what like you can't own a carpentry business well yeah i can and i think People underestimated me um, to be successful. Some people did and some people knew. The people that really know me knew that I wouldn't fail because it just wasn't an option for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just be a lesson that I've learned and I would go back to the drawing board and I would go again. Like it's mm. just, you know, the monopoly. Sometimes you'd go around the board and you would, you know, you'd score that $200 or sometimes you'd go directly to jail and have to start again and that's all right mm. I don't mind going to jail on the monopoly board <laughs> and get your salary again it's fine it gives me a bit of time out you're still playing <laughs> yeah that's it if you if you are even if you're bankrupt you just wait until people go around seven times and then you you know you get your money back I have a question about like the fighting part. It kind of sounds like for you, it came quite naturally because of your background and where you grew up and the different influences. And you talked about at one point, like the universe telling you you needed to like go this direction. But what advice would you give someone perhaps kind of like Daph and I that don't really necessarily have like this big burning passion that we're like strongly wanting to fight for? What tips or advice would you give to help us on our journey I would say patiently wait for that and for for the big one to come along and also to let you know that there's going to be more than one big one that lands on your lap what I will say to you is that I don't necessarily know if the universe is going to send it your way until they know that you're ready Mm. so I'm always of the point of the position in my life like I'm very spiritual like I kind of meditate you know Mm. in in my backyard and just like try to connect as to tune in as much as I can to the things that I can't see and 
But what I do know for myself is that until I made room in my life to, to receive the things that I didn't know that I needed, mm. they're not going to come to me. Um, and I guess also it's about, for me, it was demonstrating that I had the, the will and the guts to go after those things. So when the universe was dropping little bits and pieces into me, it was almost testing me, you know, to say, oh, well, let's just see if she, if she, if she kind of gets it, if she knows. Mm. So, and you took those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I took them and then eventually the idea came, like literally, I was sitting in my backyard on the, on the Tuesday before I resigned mm. And I was meditating and I was like, oh, like there was something that was just blocking me, right? And now what I know what was blocking me to start my business is that I didn't have a name for my business. And the minute that I had Source Nation had dropped into me, I went into what is now my office and I put all these post-it notes on my mirror mm-hmm. and then I worked out what a product line for my business would be mm-hmm. and how it is that I could make money. So there's something that is, there was something that was blocking me. Um, and once I let that go, um, energy was just flowing Mm -hmm. through me and I was able to do that. So in hindsight, I'd say act on those little things that demonstrate that you can demonstrate to the universe and to the world that you are ready to receive and that you are ready to act upon Mm -hmm. what these messages Mm -hmm. are. And then eventually that big fish will come along Mm -hmm. for you or one of the big fish will come Mm -hmm. along for you. Just for background, everyone, uh, Dixie's on the January issue of Marie Claire. Dixie, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so late last year I was approached by Georgie Dent, who is one of the amazing people over at Marie Claire and said that they were doing this work around um, a campaign called It's Time and it's about constitutional recognition of Aboriginal people in the Constitution in Australia. Mm -hmm. The position that I took on that was that we needed representation of more transparent, robust and I guess disruptive leadership for both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people in this country. And that's what my Mm. position on elevating the voices of Aboriginal people in this country was. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, She's got a quote here. Might as well read it out. Uh, To create change, we need to start having tougher conversations that incite responsibility and robust, transparent leadership Mm -hmm. by Dixie. Mm -hmm. Well said. Mm Thank you so much for your time, Dixie. I feel like we've gotten to know you super well and you've just been really amazing in sharing kind of your previous struggles as well as some of the new ones that you have venturing into this new territory of owning your own business. Thank you very much. It's been a journey, but... Oh, wait. That's so corny. (laughs) Guys, it's been a journey. You know what? It's been a wild fucking ride. That's what it's been. That's better. (laughs) Yeah, that's more me. Yeah, <laughs> but thank you for having me. I really appreciate you having me on, and also waking me up at eight a.m. on a yeah Sunday morning. Drowsy from So, Dixie, before we let you go, we generally ask all our guests the same three questions in our FAQ. So, the first question I had. Um, is something you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Yes, I've got three really key points. First point is... <laughs> three talking is, points? <laughs> yes. First point is hashtag no dickheads policy. Oh. Ladies, you need to implement that into your life immediately, even if you are 33. Please explain. Yeah. Is this like partners oh. or like in general? <laughs> Just in general, you know, friends, partners, 
workplaces just you are going to until you start to recognize the people that are around you and that are influencing your life um do a bit of an inventory like I would really encourage you to have a look around it at your friends the circle of influence and work out are those people's the ones that you want in your life and shaping to shape the person that you become um and if they're not then you need to start implementing that no dickhead policy and start exiting those people immediately because you can't take yourself to the next level psychologically spiritually emotionally physically if you still stay in the oh, same place with the same people that is actually um, such great advice oh yes that's why I wish I had taken that at 20 but anyway hindsight <laughs> hindsight is a wonderful thing better late than never <laughs> this is true um and the other two things that is spend less and make more and to also travel a lot more that's what I would have liked to have done more when I was in my 20s Beautiful. yeah what would you like to say to your 40 year old self uh again the second that point about spending less and making more at this point at 33 I probably you know like do I need five pairs of joggers no you don't even run you run your mouth like you don't like, you don't need this many pairs of, of runners um so and the reason you know like why why money is hot on my heart is because I think as women we give away so much of our wealth um or we give away our money and we are less focused on long-term wealth. And I don't want to find myself at the age of 50 or 45 where I don't have any more than 20 grand in my bank account. Like, I don't want to be in that situation. You need more than money for a rainy day. You need yeah. money to set you up for a lifetime. And I've never had people have conversations with me about money until I started my business and I am much more, I'm equally committed to making money in my business just as I am to generating money and maintaining a level of wealth in my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. So, yeah. last, last question. Um, what did you definitely want to do before you're 30 slash however old you are, we are now? <laughs> well, I am 33 on Tuesday. Happy early birthday. Yeah, I'm really happy I don't have any more greys because I dyed them. What did I want to do? I wanted to go to Vegas before I was <laughs> before I was 30 and I went Typical. there just like literally on the blink of. Amazing. Yeah. Did you love it? Was it great? It was everything that I had hoped it would be. Oh my God, it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> that must be so satisfying. It was party central, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was a wild ride. And when I look back now at the photos and the videos, yeah, I did it. I partied. Oh, good job. I love that story. It was good. Yeah. All right. Mm. Thank you so much for everything. I feel like there's a lot more stories there that we could unpack, but we are About Vegas? Yeah. I feel like the look on your face. (laughs) Just life. (laughs) It's been a pleasure having you. And yeah, we've, well, I've learned a lot, uh, Daph. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been like very interesting and also very encouraging mm. and like that you started your business and mm-hmm. you took the signs from the universe and you're doing it. So yep. I really respect you yep. for that. And quitting three much. days after. Amazing. Thanks. Bye. 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 <laughs>